Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Good morning. Let me add uh, my welcome to you, uh, for, as well as to, from Pastor Tony. And, and uh, if you're just now joining us, my name is John Dock. I serve as one of the pastors here at Northbridge Church as well. And we are honored that you have chosen to, to join us live, or whether this is a restream uh, later on through the week. But we're just so honored and glad that you have joined us today. The last couple of weeks, we have uh, been talking about standing in the gap in the midst of this pandemic. And we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about what, what it looks like to trust God in the midst of this. And we've looked at, at what does it look like to work through these, these anxious nights and these anxious times of worry and anxiety. And then last week, Pastor Dave talked to us about how do we care for our heart while we endure these uncertain times and these things we go through. And so today, we want to talk about, we want to discuss how do we maintain how do we maintain and even strengthen our marriages during this time? And just as a side note, yes, I'm going to be talking to couples today. I'm going to be talking about marriages today. But the formula that we're going to be talking about, the principles that we're going to talk about today, actually are things that can be lived out in our lives just in general with relationships. So I'm just asking just to kind of hang with me if that doesn't include you. It's safe to say that, that none of us have a perfect marriage. My wife and I celebrated 27 years last, last week. 27 years, one of some of the best years of my life. At the same time, I look forward to 27 more, okay? But to that said, our marriage isn't perfect. Our marriage isn't perfect. Marriage is hard. Making things work in normal settings is hard enough, isn't it? Let alone when we find ourselves under stress and anxiety Several weeks ago, our, our daily routines kind of changed, didn't they? Instead of one or both spouses heading to work and the kids heading to work or heading to school, all of a sudden now we're all, we're all uh, sharing the same air. We're all breathing the same air all day long, all week long, all month long. Gone are the days of high-speed internet from the office, and now we're stuck with that little circle that just spins around in the top of your phone because of the sludge of Wi-Fi, because we have like three TVs on it and a couple of laptops and a couple of phones and a tablet. I know in our house, even, uh, you know, when the kids are, when Emily was home and Evan's home, uh, they're doing their online homework and their tests. We're having to log off our Wi-Fi in our, in our home just so they don't get logged out of their test. I know even our office meetings, our small groups, our casual gals night out and guys night out have been replaced with what? Zoom meetings, right? Zoom gatherings, which begs the question, who gets to Zoom first in your house? You know, who gets the comfy chair when you Zoom together? And those have become daily conversations. If you have school-aged kids, guess what? The, the me time and the us time, if you know what I mean, has been taken away and it's been filled with homework and homeschooling. And I have to be honest, I have to be honest here, Tammy and I were talking about this the last couple of weeks, I am so glad my kids are in college. I am so glad that they can do their online homework by themselves because I have, I have seen some of the things that you guys are having to do as parents, I have, I have heard about some of the things that you guys are having to do as parents. And I just want to say, take a time out and say, you guys are awesome. You guys are incredible parents for doing what you do. I'm pretty sure I'm not smart enough to do what you guys do. 
You're having to deal with emails all day long. That's how you're coexisting, connecting with work. You're connecting with your kids' teachers to make sure this virtual learning thing goes well. For some of you, this week was the first time you put on real pants. You've been in like uh, shorts and sweats the last six weeks. I mean, all of this to say relationships are hard enough as it is. Marriage relationships are hard enough as it is without the added stress and the anxiety that we've just kind of been involuntarily thrown into. And I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You have experienced some type of stress and anxiety through this crisis. And so many of us are asking ourselves, how do I continue to cultivate? How do I continue to work on my relationship with my spouse, with my husband, my wife, when perhaps I'm living on the edge, literally on the edge, dealing with the insanity of the day in and day out that we're now living with. Well, in just a moment, I'm going to read a couple of verses. We're going to go over a couple of verses. And these are are verses that we typically don't read or don't go over when we have a marriage talk. But I, I really believe that they present a formula for us, a formula that I believe is very key for us as couples. But first, I want to encourage you with this. I just want to encourage you with this. Marriage is one of the most beautiful things God has created. It is one of the most beautiful things God has created. It is a beautiful picture, and it has incredible purpose. Think about it like this. If we believe that God created us, and that we were created by God for God, and that we were created for a purpose, which we have taught from this platform many times, and that purpose is to bring glory to Him, right? Well, it's safe to say then if God, that, that, that God's design for marriages would have purpose as well because why it's made up of two people created by God for God for his purpose. And so it would make sense then that our marriages have purpose. I say that just because sometimes we need to think about things a little differently. We think a lot of times about my life as being not about me, but we need to think about our marriages as not being about us, about something else, something greater, that God has a greater purpose. Our marriages are to be a living picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what our marriages should should portray. They are to be a living picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people all around us, couples, marriages all around us are hurting. They are looking for hope. They are stressed to the max because their world has been shaken, their routines are gone, and their stability is no more. And their stability is no more. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching when he talked about how a man built his house on sand. And and he built his house on sand. And and when the storms of life came and the crises came and the pandemics came, that house didn't stand. But the man who built his house on the solid ground of Jesus Christ, that, that house stood firm among the test, among the crises. And I think, unfortunately, that a lot of people are finding out that they have invested a lot of real estate on sand. God has a purpose for this. God has a purpose for your marriage. Perhaps God is asking you to stand in the gap for these people. But to do that, we have to make sure ourselves that we are standing on solid ground. We have to make sure that our own marriages are solid so that we can do that. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to pick up in verse 37. These verses, I believe, will help us find a formula to make sure that we, as a couple, as a marriage, are standing on solid ground. Now, I just want to say this for the rest of today's talk. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you a few questions. 
And I really encourage you to get your phone out and get your notes out on your phone or get a pen, paper out. And when, you, when I ask these questions, write them down. Write them down. Take note of them. They're questions that only you can answer. They're questions when I ask myself that only I can answer. And they're questions that I'm going to be pondering, I'm going to be praying about over the next few days. And I ask that you would do the very same thing. So leading up to verse 37 in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus has been dealing with two groups of people called the Sadducees and the Pharisees, both uh, different religious groups in Jesus' time, and they often argued over just their different doctrines. They did, they did have one thing in common, though, and their commonality was that neither of them liked Jesus. Neither of them liked who he was. And so what they had been doing all through chapter 22, if we go back and read, they had been drilling Jesus with difficult questions, trying to trip him up, trying to, to make him blasphemy against God so that they could arrest him. Well, he had just got done silencing the, the Sadducees. He had just got done answering a question, kind of putting them in their place. And you would think that would make the Pharisees happy because they just got shut down, right? But they were pretty prideful people themselves. And so they thought, you know what? We have one more question that we're going to ask. We're going to ask this question. This is surely going to get him. And so to Jesus, they posed this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied in verse 37 of Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I believe it is in these verses that we can find solid ground for our marriages to stand firm in the midst of crisis. I believe it's these verses where we can find that formula. And the first is this. The first part of this formula is this, to seek God to seek God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It means to seek God. I've heard an example in, in weddings, and I've read about these. I've never used this when I've done a wedding, but a pastor uses the image of a triangle, a triangle with God at the top and the bride and the groom on the edges. And he talks about the fact that as we move closer in our relationship with God, what happens to us? We also move closer together. So closeness to him brings closeness to our spouse and to each other. That is, so, that is so true. The closer you and I get to God, the more his grace transforms our life. The more his grace changes us. When we seek him and his word, we find out that guess what? God is loving and he is gracious. We find out that he is forgiving and he is kind. We see that he is patient yet jealous. We see that he is good. We see that he is holy. We begin to see and experience these things in our own lives. That is exactly what Pastor Dave talked about last week, talking about the importance of taking care of our hearts by meditating on God's word. Going back to Dave's uh, de uh, definition of that, of biblical meditation, which he talked about was filling our hearts and our minds with God's word. This was his definition. And it, it, I wrote it down because it was, it was so powerful to me. It said, dwelling on scripture until it ignites you into action. It is the moving of your heart to worship, to love, to be in awe and obedient to God. Dave, I hope I got that right because that's what I wrote down because it spoke volumes to me. He said that when we do this, it allows us to become more like Jesus and in step with God. 
As we lean into God's word, we move closer to him on that triangle personally, and that allows us to be more obedient to his instruction. It allows us to be more productive, Dave said, allowing us to understand that it's not just about me, which is exactly what marriage is supposed to be about, is it not? Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. What are these things? What are these things? They're the things that fill our hearts, the things that we need. You need to be loved. Guess what? It's there. You need forgiveness of your sins. Guess what? It's there. You need a, a plan in the midst of chaos. As we seek God, as we move closer to God, guess what? The plan reveals itself. You need hope. It's there. You need salvation for your soul. It's done as we move closer to God. Seeking God leads us to love God more and more. So let me ask you this. Here's our questions. Get your pen, get your paper, get your phone open to your notes. First question is this. Where are you in your personal relationship with God? Where are you in your own relationship with God? Only you can answer that. Only that's between you and God. Only I can answer that when it comes to my relationship with God. The second is this. What are you doing to strengthen that? What are you doing to strengthen that relationship with God? And then third, what are you doing to help your spouse? Men, what are you doing to help your wife? Ladies, what are you doing to help your husband grow in their relationship with God? I'll repost these questions if you didn't have a chance to write them down. We'll repost them on Facebook later on this week. But again, where are you in your personal relationship with God? What are you doing to strengthen that? And what are you doing to help your spouse grow in their own relationship with God? The second is this. First, we seek God. Second, we love others. We love others, Jesus said. And the second commandment is just is, is this. It's to love your neighbor. So as we seek God, as we grow in our personal relationship with God, it allows us to love our spouse the way God intended. The way God intended. Now, Tammy and I are both pretty competitive people. Not sure if you knew that about us or not. We're, we're fairly competitive. Maybe not as much as we used to be. I think one of our worst arguments that we ever had was over a game of Uno. We'd only been married a couple of months. I, I know that because we were still living in our little duplex. That argument culminated in me having to go to a medical dictionary to look up a term that my wife called me because I had no idea what it was. And I'm not going to repeat it here, just so you know. And maybe, now my version of the story, maybe it ended with me brushing the cards off the table. Her version is maybe something more like I threw them across the room. But who are you going to believe, right? I know. I know you guys are shaking your head right now because you cannot believe she acted that way, can you? You just cannot believe she acted that way. Over the years, Tammy and I have argued over all kinds of things. We've argued how to discipline the kids, when to discipline the kids. We've argued over money, where to spend it, where not to spend it. We've argued probably where to eat, where not to eat, okay? Every marriage, every single marriage goes through moments of anger, of arguments, uh, of borderline failures, right? Most of the time, if we think back to those times, most of the times those come rooted 
in selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride. I mean, we are taught that from a very early age, are we not? That it is my right to, it is my right to this, it is my right to that. You know, my opinion matters. It's all about winning and, and what we got to learn to do to win. I deserve this. I deserve that promotion. I deserve that letter grade. I deserve that place on the court. I deserve that place on the field. Our culture, our society, they scream it over and over and over. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. When in reality, if we learn to love our spouse or others like Jesus, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite of that. Turn with me to Philippians 2, picking up in verse 3. I'm going to actually read the first couple of verses there, verses 1 and 2. You don't have those, but I'll pick up in verse 3 where you have, and we'll read through verse 8. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, in other words, if you have any encouragement from the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ, if any comfort in his love, the love that he offered you on the cross, if there is any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, the love of Christ, being one in spirit and one in mind. And then in verse 3, he starts to talk about what this looks like. What does this kind of love look like? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to know the key word here? The key word to this entire passage is found in verse 3, and it's called humility. It's called humility. Humility is the source of unity in relationships. Humility is the source of unity between you and your spouse. Self-centeredness, selfishness, conceitedness, pride, they do nothing but tear apart your relationship with your spouse. And what does humility look like? It says what it looks like. It puts the interests of others above mine. It puts the other, other's thoughts above mine. It puts everyone's emotions above mine. It puts my spouse's feelings above mine. To have the same mindset of Christ is what Paul is talking about. That although Jesus was equal to God, he was equal, he didn't consider that. He didn't even take advantage of that. Are you and your spouse equal as people? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But at the same time, if we were to have the mindset of Christ, I am to put my spouse above me, above me. Paul says, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I sometimes wonder when Paul was talking this, I wonder if he was thinking back to the stories that Peter or maybe some of the other disciples had talked about Jesus and Jesus constantly teaching them uh, what it was like to serve. And imagine Paul sitting there going, you know, guys, I'm the servant. Gosh, you know, Peter told me one time that they were in this upper room somewhere. And believe it or not, Jesus, he took his cloak off me, wrapped it around his waist. He took a, a basin and a towel and he washed their feet can you believe that? He washed their feet to show them what it was like to be a servant. And when we take that kind of mindset into our relationships, when we take that kind of mindset 
into our marriages. The fact that I'm not looking out to my own interests, but to the interests of my wife, to the interests of my husband, we take on the very attitude of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He gave up his deity. He gave up his glory. He laid all of that aside, his pride, his glory, his deity. He laid it all aside, submitting to the Father. We seek God. And as we seek God, we grow in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it draws us closer to him. And as we draw closer to him, we become more like him. We begin to take on humility. We begin to take on the very nature of God, taking on the role of a servant. And then we can love our spouse the way God intended. The word love literally translated means devoted to fully. It's not like a friendship kind of love. It's not a, a sexual kind of love. It is devoted to fully. It is I am all in committed to, committed to. And so I ask you this. Here's your questions. Are there areas in your life where pride is present? Are there areas in your life that are full of pride? And what am I doing to love my spouse what am I doing to love my wife the way Christ loves me? What am I doing to love my husband the way Christ loves me? So see God, love others, love my spouse the way God intended. And the lastly is this, love yourself, love yourself. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because honestly, we could do an entire sermon uh, on this. But it is something that, that needs to be mentioned, and it's something that, that we don't talk about a lot. Jesus said, when talking about the commandments, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. You ever paid attention to those last two words, as yourself? We kind of glance right by those, don't we? It implies that we are to love ourselves. I know you're thinking, well, you know, you, you're saying, wait a minute, I'm to not be prideful. I'm not to think about myself. I'm to think about the interest of, my, of others. But now you're telling me to love myself. John, why are you confusing me? Well, Jesus isn't talking about self, loving myself as in prideful and arrogant. He's not talking about arrogance. He's talking about understanding your self-worth, understanding who you are in Christ Jesus, who you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus draws a, a definite line between the connection of loving others and being able to love yourself, being able to understand who you are created in the image of God, created in the image of God. And so many of us, honestly, myself included, we spend so much time hating the things about ourselves that we just pick ourselves apart over and over. I wish I wasn't so feely. I wish I wasn't so emotional. I wish I wasn't this. I wish I wasn't that, that we are crippling our ability to love others. We are absolutely crippling our ability to love others. And so as we seek God and we want to grow in our understanding of who God is, and as we seek to love our spouse better in the way God intended us to love it, we have to become more accepting of who God created us to be. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long, long ago. 
So many of us, we allow the enemy, we struggle with who we are. We're not happy with what we look like because we feel like we'll never live up to whatever it is that we think we should live up to. We think in the back of our mind that our spouse is not going to think I'm very good looking anymore or I'm just never going to have the body that I think I should have. Or sometimes we struggle with confidence and wherever that's rooted from, we just, we lack the ability to be confident in who we are. Sometimes we lack and we struggle because of guilt. And we think we are the only one that's unforgivable on this planet, that every single ever person can be forgiven, but not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've done. Maybe we even struggle with never being able to live up to a certain level of expectation. The job's never going to be good enough. The paycheck's never going to be good enough. And I just can't live up to the expectation of what they desire. Can I just remind you of something just real quick? You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created by God for God for an incredible person, for an incredible purpose. Hear me right now. God loves you. He created you. You are his masterpiece. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. And he wants you and he desires you to see yourself the way he sees you, the way he sees you. Seek God, love others, love yourself. I only have one question for you right here. Only one question for you right here, and then we're going to close in a time of prayer. How are you, men, men, look at me. How are you affirming your spouse so they can be confident in who they are in Christ? Ladies, how are you affirming your spouse, your husband, so that he can be confident and who he is in Christ Jesus. As I said earlier, marriage is a beautiful picture. It is. It really is. It's a, it should be the picture of the gospel. And we have to make sure that our marriages are on solid ground so that we can stand firm and we can stand in the gap for those who need us to. For those who need us to. God so loved that he gave his son. It is the ultimate, ultimate act of servanthood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. And God, we thank you that you created marriage. We thank you, Father God, for the picture that it, that it shows. Father God, we just thank you that, that uh, everything about it exudes your gospel. Father God, would you help us today as we seek you, as we move closer to you, would you give us an understanding of, of who we are in, in light of your eyes? Would you give us an understanding of what it means to love like you so that we can carry that out with our spouse? Father God, again, we just say thank you for, for who you are. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.